Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. At the end of this episode, Cody and I will attempt to take all the shooters we discussed and throw them in a couple tiers at the top of the league. I'm not sure if we covered everyone's name, so if you're wondering where someone like, say, Michael Porter Jr. falls in this conversation, there is a Patreon Extra post with all the data we used in this episode and a more formal layout of the top tier shooters in the league. I think there are 25 or 26 shooters worth that mention, so you can check that out if you are a subscriber. Thinking Basketball Podcast, welcome back. My name is Ben, and today, Cody and I are going to sift through the best shooters in the NBA right now. We don't even know how to have this discussion. We have to talk about how to have this discussion before we can figure out what it means to be one of the best shooters. And Cody, uh, you convinced me over the All-Star break last week to record ourselves uh, like streaming the 75th anniversary TNT draft and I still haven't recovered from that how about you yeah that was truly a special moment if any of you are like even kind of remotely interested in the actual YouTube video of the TNT people doing this see watch along with us it is an absolute blast for an hour and a half picking apart the top 75 draft that they did that is available for um Patreon insiders and above, patreon.com slash thinking basketball if you want to check that out. That was a wild ride. But now, I mean, now we're back to topical 2021 content. And um, today we are going to try to figure out who I, I said the best shooters, but are we talking about the best shooters overall or the best three point shooters? The way I've been thinking about it for the last week has specifically been about three point shooting. Okay. So is that just because? The game is so three-point centric, and you think the conversation between 17 and 23 feet isn't worth having, or what is it that lands us on three specifically? I think when I was thinking about it, adding in the other variable of all other shooting from areas just changes the conversation a little too much for me to try and take, and I think the complexity of just looking at the top three-point shooters, to me, was interesting enough to deep dive on its own. Okay. The only reason I bring it up is because one of the things I'm going to value in conversations like these is your generalizability of a skill. In other words, PJ Tucker can hit the corner three at 42% when he's spotted up and has his right foot towed up behind his left, left foot and he can catch in rhythm, bring the right foot up to the toe the line and shoot his three-point shot. But that is an extremely specific movement, right? That's a movement pattern that he's memorized in a very specific context. When I think about the best shooting skill, and there was a Sloan paper on this many years ago, I do think about how are you doing it from different parts of the court and how are you doing it under different contexts? Because if we're talking about a hand-eye coordination skill, if we're talking about a ballistic movement where you're taking your hands and firing a basketball up into a hoop some, you know, let's, let's assume we don't count like three foot layups as shooting or five, right? You're like 10, 15, 25 feet away from a hoop and you're taking this little spherical thing and throwing it in the net. I care about all of the different circumstances you can be put in to convert that activity to actually make one of those shots. And I think that's true. And I think that's why I like the conversation of just three point shooting on its own, because where I started with this, and this is, this is a player that ends up being a punching bag of mine a lot. I don't, I don't know why. I don't have anything, anything against him. But the archetype of, like, Jason Capono or Steve Novak or Anthony Morrow of, like, these three-point specialists that just kind of stand around and shoot threes, they don't exist anymore. Hmm. Because three-point defense is to the point where there's so much complexity depending on the perimeter that these players have to find and organize ways to shoot threes in a variety of ways. So I completely agree with your point. But I think the 
including players' ability to drive into a mid-range ability, say like a Chris Paul or DeMar DeRozan, just opens up a whole other can of worms that I think makes it even more complex to unpack. Not that I don't think it's valuable to unpack, but I think that could be an entirely different conversation. Okay, so I, I think that makes sense. For today, we will try to simplify it and keep it to three-point shooting. We did kind of start this in our group chat this week, um, just going back and forth on this concept of three-point shooting. So we'll keep it to three-point shooting. With that said, um, you, I think, make a major distinction between looking at pull-up shooting and looking at catch-and-shoot shooting. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Definitely, because I think... There seems to be like a couple kinds of three-point shooters, right? There's some. There's a lot of players that self-create a lot of three-point shots. The Damian Lillards of the worlds, the uh, Trey Youngs of the worlds. So they take a lot of their three-pointers from the pull-up position, right? Where they're the ones that they're not being assisted on it. They're they're self-generating them. Whereas there's other players who almost completely rely on the catch and shoot jumper, which is going to be created by somebody else. Say like the the Luke Kennards or even like the Patty Mills of the of the worlds and i think those are two such entirely different skills that again this is one of those that when i'm trying to weigh my priors like i don't know how to figure out which one i value more than the other how i combine the data from these two ideas and so i think those are two at least really interesting starting points of just like all right here's some great pull-up jump uh pull-up jump shooters and here are great catch and shoot jump shooters you know this might be our first point of disagreement on this because i would not consider them entirely different skills i think they are one obviously very related and two i think they are incredibly similar skills um now you might get into a thing where some people who are specialists have made a living and developed high level basketball uh impact or you know just roles that they've carved out from catch and shoot shooting alone boy that's going to be a mouthful to say all day catch and shoot shooting um shooting off the catch how about that i like that but but i do think when we talk about the mechanics of a shot when we talk about the neurological sort of nervous system effect of the movement of shooting itself and grooving that pattern i think they're incredibly similar and i assume one thing you're going to say is well a lot of guys who take a diet of pull-up threes have their percentages lowered because on average pull-up three-point shots are converted at a much lower percentage than catch-and-shoot shots, but I would just say that's confounded with being open. Most pull-up jumpers are taken in a context where you're pulling up because you're guarded or you're pulling up because you're coming off a dribble or a screen or you're in transition or something like that and you have space in front of you to pull up and shoot, whereas a ton of catch-and-shoot threes are open at the end of a kind of shot creation chain with the team, right? Somebody gets into the paint, they kick it out, and either that first guy pops the three or you move it around until you find an open three. So I, I, unless you have other evidence, I do not think of, at least off the top of my head, as catch-and-shoot three-point shooting being a very different thing than pull-up three-point shooting. And I think the percentage difference is largely guided by catch-and-shoot shots I did it again. Um, shooting, shooting off the catch, being a function of just getting higher quality looks in the course of an average 2022 NBA game. I think of a, a, a variable that I want to see how you feel about including in this is I think that to be a good pull-up jump shooter, you have to sort of have self-creation abilities. Like some of these best um, of pull-up jump shooters are also players that are really good at driving to the basket. Right, like Damian Lillard is able to get into the teeth of the defense. Trey Young is able to get into the teeth of the defense. These players are able to just kind of isolate and create. Where I don't think some of these other players, like I don't think you can just give the ball to Luke Kennard and be like, "We need a three pointer. You need to get this up at some point this possession and get a good look." Whereas, like I would trust someone like Trey Young or Damian Lillard to do that a lot more. But if it was just like a standstill, like I need you to curl around this and hit a three. I think I might probably take somebody like Luke Kennard over either one of those other guys to hit that shot. Yeah, so I think already we're in we're in Confounderville because um, we have these other variables that influence this story. One of them is the ability to get you know pressure the defense with your driving potential, and then related to that is your ball handling, is your actual ability to put it on the deck and navigate, go different places, or evade defenders that are nearby. And I think of Duncan Robinson, who probably doesn't have a lot of pull-up threes according to the way nba.com classifies pull-up threes but 
there are a lot of Duncan Robinson threes, I think off the top of my head at least, where he's catching in movement and might take one extra dribble in some direction, right? And is that off the dribble? You know, like I just, I don't, yeah, go ahead. So I'm sorry, you said go ahead because I'm like vigorously like shaking on that point. I actually don't include like the the one dribble, side dribble three as a pull-up three. I don't count that as an ability to self-generate a three. I think that that skill is so necessary for three-point shooters to have just because there's so many closeouts now. I feel like there's a lot of closeouts now where where players like fly by to try and chase a player off the line. So it's necessary to kind of take that, that dribble. And I just think that's part of the package now. Yeah, agreed. And then even just thinking about the extra dribble you take or if you take a pull-up, um, in the old days, you probably only took pull-ups going downhill toward the basket. And now we've got sidesteps that are off of your dribble action for you know high-profile players that you talked about. I'm Zach Levine. I got a hang dribble, a hesitation dribble. I'm thinking about getting into my drive. I want to take a huge hop step to the left to get into my three. I'm James Harden. I'm dribbling the ball like a yo-yo over and 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 then a step back. Did I do too many? I don't think you did enough. (laughs) Cody was enjoying my actual hand movements of him dribbling while I was doing that. Anyway, let's get back on track. So I guess going back to your original point, based on everything we just said, like I, I feel like the things that we just said makes it seem like catch and shoot and pull-up jumpers are two very different skill sets. Like, do you still think that those, like, aren't as different as I'm saying they are? Yeah, because I think the thing that... I I assume the reason you're thinking they're different skill sets is because you are not trusting Duncan Robinson to dribble the ball for 11 seconds, cross over, make a hesitation move, come off a screen, and shoot in the same way you are for someone like Trey Young... But I'm saying I think that has everything to do with their ball handling and their change of direction and quickness to get to the basket versus their shooting skill. Like Donovan Mitchell and the pressure he exerts on you as he turns the corner gets you to drop back. And so, of course, the way he's developed as an on-ball basketball star and scorer for the last few years of his career and in college and in the NBA is I have to learn to take that shot. And maybe in the old days, to some degree, that was a 17-footer. And now, per the discussion today, it's a three-point pull-up. So that's why they're still similar to me. But I assume that's where, correct me if I'm wrong, I assume that's where you're thinking of them as different. Yeah. Can I ask you a thought experiment then? Right. This early for a thought experiment? This I don't know early. If, I don't know if everyone's ready for that. <laughs> oh, we, we have to be ready. This is a very uh, thought experiment-laden conversation, I feel like. Okay, so, let's do it. Let's jump in. We're 10 minutes in. We're going to the thought experiments. Let's assume. All right, we have two players, player A and player B. Mm-hmm. They're the exact same, like skill-wise, the exact same kind of three-point shooter, right? The exact same kind of three-point shooter. They hit the exact same amount from every area on the court. Uh, when they pull up, they're able to hit three-pointers at the exact same level. But one of them, one of them, is much better at driving and getting to the basket. Therefore, affecting the way that defenses would be closing out and defending them. Therefore, more than likely, opening up more open three-point attempts for that player. Agreed, Based on that, who would you say is the better three-point shooter? The one that's able to create a little bit more, that makes the defense change how they defend them, or are they the same? Wow. This is really a mind puzzle because didn't you start by saying they were the exact same shooter in terms of quality? Yes. But I now I think you're saying in terms of impact, right? In terms of effectiveness. Okay. Boy, all right, that was a great thought experiment because for me I would like to make a distinction and I think we landed here in the discussion in the in the group chat earlier this week where if we are talking about just some kind of pure shooting skill based on the rules of your thought experiment, I think they're exactly the same. But if we're talking about impact or effectiveness in an NBA game, the one with the dribble drive game, then I believe becomes a more effective shooter because those two weapons play off each other. I 100% agree with that, which means I think I should amend my original comment or where I'm, where I'm starting from with this conversation. I think that the best three-point shooters are going to be the th- shooters that have the most impact with their shooting which would mean that I would rank that player that has the better driving game higher when we have this conversation. And that's the confounding part, right? Yeah. Ah, boy. That's so brutal. But, okay, so it, it, so, it sounds like you weren't going to do that, right? 
Well, I'm not convinced that I want to connect. It's kind of like when, I, when I've done stuff on the best scores or the best passers. There's a natural intersection point between these things where you can't truly ever separate someone's scoring from their passing threat because the way the defense responds to their passing threat influences how much they can load up on their scoring. And the same is true vice versa. You can't distinguish someone's pure passing without thinking about the passing opportunities that they create and the passing opportunities they create are based on how the defense is not defense not only plays their scoring, but also their ball handling and quickness and change of direction and all that other stuff. So I do think with these things, it's impossible to separate. And we've landed on a place that is a little surprising. Well, maybe not super surprising for me having thought about it, but I think before you think about it, it's, it's counterintuitive in that who are the best three-point shooters actually cannot really be separated from other parts of players' games if you think about effectiveness. Yes, I 100% yeah. agree with that. I, I don't think I can have a position where I can rank people shooting as its own independent variable. Okay, so I'm going to, for the spirit of the discussion, try to do that as much as possible. Okay. I, I, will, I do agree that I lean more toward the effectiveness side of, like, what's your actual impact of your shooting? And then some of you may be thinking, well, does off-ball gravity come into play? Um, I think we can talk about that. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, I think we can talk about that. Teams of, over large samples, the way they respond to your gravity seems to be pretty commensurate with your shooting. Um, you know, over a multi-year period, Steph Curry was making like 49% of his open threes. You probably shouldn't leave that person open. And to your point, if that was a guy who was just a Steve Novak spot-up three-point shooter, and that's all he did when he came into the game, maybe a little bit like his brother, Cody, who has less of a diverse game traditionally, maybe you get a a steadier diet of open spot up threes and your percentage is a little higher. I've mentioned a couple times on this podcast from the 23 foot nine line, Seth Curry has the highest three point percentage in NBA history, but I do not think he is a better shooter than his brother. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think this, this connects back to a conversation we had however many episodes ago when you were citing those numbers to show still how effective the Warriors offense was with Steph Curry going through his slump because it wasn't changing the way that defenses defended him. And I think that aspect of it, because basketball isn't just like you're on a court by yourself practicing, like basketball is all of these variables connected in some way. So if you're bending the defenses because of the fear of your three-point shot, to me, that has to be factored in to the way that uh, we evaluate your three-point shooting. And Steph Curry is, uh, you know, not to spoil anything, he's He's in my top five list. And I've yes. been I've been told basketball is a series of one-on-one events, and whoever makes snazzier jumpers uh, gets the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. I, I kid. I also love, by the way, Cody, that Seth Curry's having this tremendously slumping three-point shooting year, which as a totally separate conversation has like, derailed his MVP candidacy, which is really strange since the Warriors are like 20 games ahead of where they're supposed to be and they haven't had Clay Thompson and Draymond Green for most of the season. I digress. He's still shooting 38% on 17 three-point attempts per 100 possessions. And people are like, that's bad. That's that's not good. Wait, do you, do you have the, the numbers right now? Where does 17 per 100 fit historically? Um... I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head for like lesser players who have played, mm. you know, twenty minutes a game or something. If anyone recently has hit that, but I know it's near the top for him. He was at seventeen and a half last year, which was his highest mark, and it's extremely rare for anyone to ever get up into that territory, at least at this point in time. So yeah, it's a, it's a comical level of volume. Vo- this is a great segue to volume, right? Volume is another indicator to me. When I look at data where I say, if you're not shooting a lot, it's hard for me to consider you in the like top of the shooters list because there's a selection bias there where you're not able to get your shot off or you're reluctant to get your shot off. So yeah, it's, it's the same thing with very high volume. Um, I don't know what the curve looks like, but as your, as your volume increases, I expect your percentages to go down slightly. But as your volume increases, your effectiveness and your impact from your shooting may very well go up. Where, where do you land on the volume part of this? Yeah, I actually found that with uh, most players, like when you get to like the 400 uh, catch and shoot attempts 
a season like the 450 you're getting like the clay thompson sort of route and some of his percentages are a little bit lesser than some players that are taking maybe in the 250 300 catching uh uh, shooting off the catch possessions uh, a season. But I still would say that like that extra 150 attempts makes you a little bit more of a deadly three-point uh, shooter just because it, it, the fact that you're getting it off at that volume and still at a really deadly percentage shows how good you are at good at getting that shot off, which I think is another element of this, is you still being able to get these shots off when defenses are explicitly trying to make sure that you do not get those shots off. Okay, so before we... Um dazzle the mind with a series of percentages on all these shooters from I mean I don't know what we've got cooked up today Cody we've got catch and shoot threes we've got wide open threes I don't know if you've got above the break versus corner I don't know I don't know what we're getting ourselves into but before we go there I think you really need the data and the numbers to help answer this question because I think it is in a way driven by it's like batting average or something or a sprinter's time a horse's horse's quarter mile or something it's like it's driven by how many shots you're making and so all we can do our eye can't perceive these differences necessarily but all we can do is look at the data when the samples get large enough and then try to apply any context and say like okay catch and shoot threes we can assume they're more open or if you have a lot of pull-up threes we watch the team maybe we know you take pull-up threes against the clock um, we could filter out heaves, whatever it may be. But I still think we need to rely heavily on the data from these makes and misses to actually answer the question about who the best three-point shooters are and then maybe infer their impact and effectiveness on the game. But do you, do you not buy that? Do you think that numbers are not necessarily the way to go here? So the way that you just phrased that now that we have to rely most heavily on the numbers... I do buy that. And I think okay, okay. then the question about sample sizes is part of that conversation. But I think once you get down to the nitty gritty, once you start trying to rank, I think then it's necessary to start looking at the kinds of shots that these, these players are looking at. Like, is this player's shot maybe a little bit slower so it's easier to close out on mm-hmm. or contest? Yep. Is this player able to uh, fire it off 25 feet away or 26 feet away from the basket as opposed to right, uh, towing their line on the three-point line? Or there's one player I'll probably talk about who's... Uh, Numbers, I think, are a little inflated by corner three-point shots as opposed to, like, above the break. And I think some of those things um, you need to bring in as opposed to just looking at the data. Well, but I still think, you know, it's interesting because I agree, but I still think there are statistical or numerical indicators we have access to now that allow us to say, oh, Trey Young's average three-point attempt is 27 feet instead of 25 Um, or like you said, this guy's got a heavy diet of corner threes and there's two things going on with corner threes, right? One of them is that the shot is slightly closer, which for some people may make a difference. It's 22 feet instead of 23, nine. And secondly, and maybe most importantly, corner threes are often threes that are found as a kick out to an open guy, right? Some of these above the break threes, even catch and shoot, someone might be on top of you. But the corner three is that spot where you're trying to hide in the corner and get an open look. I never loved the sight lines in the corner as a shooter. It was not my favorite spot, but I do understand why it would be inflationary for some players. Yeah, a little bit of a digression. I had like a concrete slab at my parents' (laughs) place growing up that was like you know, 18 by 18 feet, which is why I became a mid-range specialist. But the issue is that from one of the corners, there was a tree branch going over it. So I was never good at shooting at the corners because the, the tree branches were in the way. But going going on the numbers thing here. I wait, think wait, one can, thing... I, can I, can I uh, interject with my own oh, digression please. on that? Please. I had a slanted driveway. And, oh, no. And my parents, in all their wisdom, uh, put the hoop on the slant. So what I, and I actually think this helped me as a shooter because I had to learn to adjust my nervous system to change the shot and the arc on the ball if I was on the low side of the hoop or if I was on the high side of the hoop. And it really only stood out in the corners. Um, I also had a concrete slab, and you could really only get that NBA three-point distance if you if you went to the top of the key. Anyway, back back to your point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so my, my point is you were talking about like shot distance, and there's a player I'm thinking about... Trey Young. I'll just say Trey Young, right? He takes a lot of pull-up long threes. You can look at the data and see that sort of thing. But I think something that you see and maybe something that holds me back a little bit on Trey Young is that um, I feel like some of the threes he takes are pretty ill-advised. 
like he fires some of these up and mm. in my mind i'm watching and i'm like hmm should i actually downgrade you a little bit because you could be a more effective three-point shooter if you took better three-point shots so i think that sort of nuanced detail it's necessary to have the numerical data but then also to go in and be like all right let's contextualize what these long threes might look like so i th- that's a great point because it would inflate your volume and make it look like you're taking harder shots and to some degree you are but they're self-inflicted and so it goes back to your wonderful thought experiment where for that i would say it doesn't change it does not change trey's ability as a quote-unquote pure shooter but it changes his effectiveness and in this in this case in a negative way because his his diet of threes he, he's addicted to certain I mean, i'm not picking on trey i don't think it's too bad in his case but if this is the case and you're just jacking a bunch of pull-up threes then it might actually be hurting your effectiveness a little bit on that shot um any other meta philosophical or um childhood thoughts about three-point shooting before we look at some of these numbers i think they might they might bubble up to the surface once we get into the nitty-gritty. And I said okay. nitty-gritty too many times already today. i got to retire that. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I would like to look at some nitty-gritty or gritty-nitty or whatever. Is there we a synonym? Need, we need a synonym. What's a yeah, synonym I don't of know. nitty-gritty? The minutiae? Yeah, we'll dive into the minutiae, the nuance. This the, is uh, no minutiae, though. This is just three-point shooting numbers. Um, it sounds good, w- though. Can you, can you uh, sort of walk us through... We've got some... What am I looking at? Catch and shoot numbers here from this season, 2022? Uh, No, multiple seasons, right? Yeah. So I think that's another thing is single season three-point percentages can be pretty volatile. I think actually historically a player that's really interesting for this is Tracy McGrady, where I think it was his 03 season where his three-point percentage spikes quite a bit comparatively to the surrounding seasons. Um, But... You, you get a better look once you start rolling in like the last three years or so, which can be difficult yep. for younger players like Desmond Bain. So what I did is I tried to find like the last three healthy-ish seasons of catch-and-shoot uh, attempts and percentages of some of the players, and then I ranked them. And that's what I ended up with. And, and to me, it seems like to be in this top tier or to even be like discussed in this conversation, you need to be at least above like the 40% mark. Yeah. Um, that seems to be pretty much anyone I go to. And then when you start getting like the elite elite, you're maybe getting a little above 44, 45% on catch and shoot attempts. Okay. So let's start. If I'm understanding the data, the way you've got it, this is catch and shoot threes for the last three healthy seasons of a player's career. Um, Joe Harris is he shooting 48% in the last three seasons? 48%. So he is yeah. the leader of the data okay. that I saw of the last three seasons. Okay. And then why don't you rip off the next five or 10 or whatever, however however many you want to kind of introduce here uh, at this catch and shoot level. Yeah, for sure. And I did a lot. Of, I did not a lot of this. I did this all by hand. So I wasn't able to just like collect all of the data. So there may have been a player or two that slipped through my fingers. But from the main guys that came to mind, the main 25 or so that I was investigating, I had uh, Joe Harris with over the last three years, 48%. Seth Curry, number two at 47.5%. Zach Levine at 46%. Mm. Luke Kennard at 45.5%. CJ McCollum at 45%. Joe Ingles at 44%. Desmond Bain at 43.8%, Trey Young at 43.7%, and then I'll stop at Norman Powell, um, the last player above 43% on catch-and-shoot threes. I'm actually really interested in the next few guys on this list. I'll keep going. Fred Van Vliet, 43, Steph Curry, just under 43, Bryn Forbes, 42.5, Clay Thompson, 42, Paul George, just under 42, Damian Lillard, and Patty Mills, just under 42. By the way, Duncan Robinson... Carl Anthony Towns, Kevin Durant, those guys uh, kind of group around 41%. So, okay. I looked at wide open threes, according to the way NBA.com classifies them, which is six feet of space away from the nearest defender. Okay. And you're going to have a lot of similarities because, as I said, I think catch and shoot threes... um, are really heavily influenced by the fact that they're often wide open, especially compared to pull-up threes. So if we look at the leaders, and I've, I've got... Cody, you ask if you want it. You know, you represent the the people here. Two years, three years, four years. I'm going to start with four years because I think it gives us the best sample. Yeah, yeah, just don't um, do me by one year. That's okay. <laughs> well, we can, do, we can do three years, but for wide open threes, for instance, for three years, it's very rare to have over 500 open attempts. Um, 
and you know maybe when maybe when you're wide open because it's a more controlled shot you don't need five six seven hundred attempts to feel really good about the stability of that sample but i do like when it comes to three-point shooting to get more than like 200 attempts or something like that so let's go to four years over the last four years the leaders in wide open threes and I'm going to interject on volume for a couple of these guys, but a lot of them similar volume, four, five, six hundred attempts in the last few years. Joe Harris, the same name. He's out on an island on wide open threes, 53%. That's unreal. Now he's only taken 482, so he's, we're not talking about one of the volume monsters. And as I said, I will mention a couple volume monsters. Um, but even for 482, that's re- that's really good shooting. Can I can I ask a question actually? Yeah. So when we talk about the volume there, couldn't that speak to the uh, the the task of the defenses not allowing him to take three point shots? Like maybe he does have a high volume, but the volume isn't wide open because defenses are just like flinging themselves out there to make sure Joe Harris isn't taking a wide open three. Well, I think this is where you need the context that we talked about in the um, meta portion of the, of the conversation Um, to some degree in, in this instance with wide open shooting, you could say it might cut the other way where if your volume is lower and you're a really, really, really good shooter, maybe that's an indicator that defenses are bending toward you more and you're having more of like a off-ball gravity effect as part of the offense. I think I would apply a case-by-case basis because, for instance, the next player at 49% is Seth Curry, not Steph Curry. Seth Curry. Number two on the catch-and-shoot list as well. Yeah. I Well, I just think that catch-and-shoot list is going to heavily overlap um, just because of the diet of catch and shoot threes being open but if we if we keep going Gallinari is third at 40 just under 48 percent there's Norm Powell again at 48 percent and here comes Stephen Curry at 47.3 percent but he's the first guy to have a jump in volume he's taken 630 and I honestly I, I apologize I can't even remember off the top of my head um no it would include the six games so he's taken 630 in about a year less of basketball. See? Because because the he did play a few games in that 2020 season that he basically lost, and that's going to be included here. So that's where I'm not sure about your point on volume because I think we know defense has been toward Curry's three-point shooting more than anyone ever, and he's just able to generate them, you know, because of the diversity of his skill with both pull-up shooting, transition, three-point shooting, moving his movement skills off the ball and his ability to get open away from the ball. And for me to still be up there at that volume at 47%, um, I don't know, I'm pretty impressed by it. But what do you what do you make of that? I mean, we're roping in a season where he's apparently slumping so badly and he's still like, what, number six? Number six on your list? Number, number five? five? Number five, it's, yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's keep going here with the familiar names. Luke Kennard, again, 47%, just under 47%. Paul George, same percentage as Kennard. Clay Thompson. Now, in this case, I think the way I ran it, I, I, I apologize, I don't remember. I think Clay Thompson has got 700 attempts, even more than Curry. But this actually goes back an extra year for Clay Thompson, right? Because it's his last four seasons, but he missed... 2020 it goes back like two years right he did he miss two full years what's happening to time two full years two full years right yeah yep yep um Bryn Forms just under 46 percent Duncan Robinson 45 percent Malik Beasley 45 percent Patty Mills Nick Batum 45 percent Danny Green that's the first time we've heard him at 45 percent and I might do one or two more after this but here's a name that I don't think we saw earlier Buddy Heald right yeah. So Buddy Heald is just under 45% on his wide open threes in the last four seasons. But he has over a thousand wide open threes. So on one hand, I trust the fact that if you leave Buddy Heald open, it's going down. Like he's ridiculously good when he's open. The second part, to your point, is why is he open so much compared to the other players? Does he just work to get it? And then the third part, which is kind of where my mind goes is how does that influence the way we think about his other shooting indicators if so many of his shots 
are the ones where he's pulling the trigger only when he's open. Um, just off the top of my head, in the Matisse Thibel defensive video, there's at least one, maybe two clips where Thibel deters him from shooting entirely and he just gives it up. And other guys might pull under a little duress. And if Heald's shot selection is like, that's another thing we probably should look up statistically, which we didn't do before this episode, is what percentage of your overall threes are wide open? And I think Heald was actually a really interesting case because when I was going through the the multiple years of three-point catch-and-shoot data, he was one of the only ones in my list of 25 or so players that actually had two years under 40% on catch-and-shoot attempts. So a lot of this is actually buoyed by... Um, I just have year one, year two, year three. I'm guessing it was the 2020 season where he skyrocketed to maybe 42.5% from three. But then his last couple of seasons has been just a shade under 40%. So I agree with you. There's something interesting going on uh, with Heald. Because w- when you're talking about him being able to get his shot off, when I watch him, he seems to have one of the quickest releases. He seems to be the kind of guy that should be able to get that shot off pretty much um, against anyone. So he's an interesting case. Do you have, um, as part of your catch-and-shoot research, do you have anything on pull-up threes? No, I don't. Okay, so I just happen to have... um, On a case-by-case basis, I should say. I didn't do like a formal, a bunch of players, but when I was going through specific players, I found some certain things, so no. Okay, I have just happened to have in front of me right before we recorded, and I'm bringing it up, I have pull-up three-point shooting from last season for the 2021 season. Um Nope, never mind. This is 2020. Yeah, so it must go back to 2020 with uh, Buddy Heald because he's like 38% on pull-up threes in in 2020. And looking at this 2020 data, just for comparison, it is difficult to get above 40% on your pull-up three-point shooting. So in the catch-and-shoot department, you want to be 45 to 50% to be in the elite. You want to be really good. You want to be over 40%. In the pull-up three category, it's like... Dame Lillard, for instance, in 2020, took a thousand pull-up threes, <laughs> four, four times as many pull-up threes per minute as his catch-and-shoot rate, and he made 30, almost 39% of them. He was on fire that year. Tatum, remember, Tatum got really hot in the second half of 2022, and Tatum took almost 700 pull-up threes at 38%, again, taking about two and a half times the rate of pull-up threes compared to catch and shoot threes. So Paul George, another guy, but he's only at like 400. So all of these top guys in this department are getting volume and getting like high 30s-ish just as a point of comparison. That sounds about right from what I was looking at. And it seemed like a lot of the high level guys were kind of organized around the, like if, if I saw someone around that 36 to 38% mark, I was like, yeah, yeah. that's that's a very good pull-up jump shooting season. And yeah. I think on that Dame Lillard point, I think Trey Young is, he might even be more egregious with the difference between his catch and shoot attempts versus his pull up attempts. I don't, I don't have it in front of me, but I thought it was almost like a six to one, maybe five to one sort of ratio between them. From that season, it was, <laughs> yeah, he took almost 800 pull up threes, made about 34% of them, and he took 6.6 pull ups every 36 minutes and 1.6 pull ups. Uh, uh, catch and shoot, excuse me, every 36 minutes. So that's more than four to one. That's that's pretty severe. Yeah. So, okay. Where, where does this leave us, Cody? Where does all this data leave us now that we've been dazzled and amazed by this nitty gritty stuff? I'm glad we ended on Trey Young because he might be the player that I thought about the most for this. And I really don't know where to settle for him because some of the numbers that I have on him is I can hopefully pull it up in the multiple sheets where I have data just scattered all over the place for these players as you just talked about he's like a four and a half maybe even this season it's even worse how many more pull-up three-pointers he takes but over his last like three seasons on those catch and shoot attempts that i was just talking about trey young is like pretty near the top he's shooting just a shade just a shade under 44 percent on catch and shoot threes so that would put him at number eight on those 25 guys that i invested interesting yeah but he's just not taking that many of them. So here's a player who seems to be just a tremendous catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. Tremendous player off the catch. But he takes most of these threes in what I consider to be when I'm watching these really difficult, long pull-up threes that kind of shoots himself in the foot and makes them more difficult. So I have a guy where I'm like, I feel like you should be a top-five three-point shooter, 
But because of some of these other things that you're doing, I don't know if I can quite put you up into that category. Do you look at free throw shooting at all? Um, I mean, typically used as an indicator for shooting. And I think if we were talking about overall shooting, that more generalizable 18-footers, 14-footers, elbow pull-ups, jumpers, I would want to index a little bit more on free throw shooting. But I thought of it in this case because Trey does have this incredible disparity between his diet of pull-ups and catch and shoot and yet his open catch and shoots are consistent with someone who mm, let me check the notes cody shoots 90 percent from the free throw line is that i actually don't know off the top of my head what is he shooting from the free throw 80 line? 89 last year and 89.5 oh wow he's just under 90 this, this season so again there's another piece of evidence that points me to like trey young is one of the best shooters in the nba but i just <laughs> i don't but, know how much know. is he? How much is he hurting himself with his? Yes. I mean, the flip side of that is that we could agree, as a pure shooter, he might be in the upper echelon or in the tier one or however we want to finish this. Maybe, maybe the best thing we can do is say, "Here's tier one, here's tier two, and then leave it at that." Anyone else we want to talk about? Um, but we could say, "Oh, tier, uh, Trey is in that class as a pure shooter," but. Because of all those other confounding variables that we talked about earlier, and in, in his case, basically his size, right? The fact that he's such a little fella out there. <laughs> he, he seems to be able to only generate these, let's call them 36% pull-up threes from 26 or 27 or 28 feet because of the way his game works versus someone like Donovan Mitchell who in theory is a similar height. Now, functionally, I think once you get in the paint, it's a totally different world. They're built completely differently, both in terms of one is built like a tank with seven foot arms. And the other, again, is uh, probably built more like me, uh, which is not a good thing in this context. So Trey's taking his pull-ups from 28 feet. Mitchell, when he turns the corner, insane downhill pressure on, on defenders and drop defenders. And, he has, he does pull some ill-advised threes from deep as well, but I don't know if you can pull it, Cody, while I'm talking about it, the average shot distance from either player, but I feel like Mitchell gets way more traditional 23-foot, 11-inch three-point attempts on his pull-ups themselves. Yeah, I'm pulling that up right now. It's the most captivating podcasting you can possibly have with. I was trying to figure out how I could filibuster in this time, so maybe I'll be meta and talk about filibustering. You filibuster. You fil- You just continue your thoughts on three-point shooting, and I'll, I'll grab Wait, it. Are, are we talking about average shot yeah. distance in general or average three-point shot distance? Average, average three-point shot distance. Am I allowed to admit on air that I don't know where to find that quickly? Is that okay? That's so. a really interesting point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, let's let's continue with the podcast, and we'll pretend this never happened. Yeah, no. Where were we? We were talking about Trey Young, average three point shooter. Yeah, I'm so, I'm sold by your your thought process about Donovan Mitchell and and Trey Young. So yeah, I, I like the idea of saying that Trey Young probably skill wise belongs in this conversation. But when we're talking the actual effectiveness, the per impact ability of his three point shot, I don't think he quite hits that echelon. Okay, the wonderful stat uh, site. PPP stats, play-by-play stats, which we all heavily rely on. According to this, Mitchell's three-point shot distance, his average three-point shot distance, in 2020 was 26 feet. In 2021 was 26.3 feet. And in 2022 was 26.7 feet. Now, because that's from the play-by-play, remember that's not going to have scientific, you know, NASA level of accuracy because that's someone logging manually, oh, this looks like a 26-footer, 27-footer. And there's a lot of noise in that from arena to arena. Those can be a little wonky versus the optical tracking of actually using the camera. But what did I say, around 26 feet for him? Yeah, yeah. When you you look at Trey, Trey's gone 27.9, 27.7, and this season he's cracked 28 feet. On his, on his average three-point attempt. So, you know, it plugs into what we've been describing. Yeah. That, is that a, a full... Based on the numbers, a full foot and a half more from Trey? Yeah. Yeah. And if you're wondering where someone like Lillard is on this um, spectrum, he's under 28 feet as well. 27.6, 27.7 for the last three seasons. So 28-foot average three-point shot. 
That's uh, that's quite a bomb. <laughs> so it, it, how, do you, how do you feel about that then? Because if you're able to fire three-pointers from that far away, we're talking about it in this negative sense. Maybe we spin it in a positive sense where, yeah. it, makes, yeah. where it makes defenses – I mean, if you're pulling up from that far away, that's bending defenses so much more to open up, it, open up the paint for other players. So maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. May, I don't know if it cancels the, – the two points we've been talking about cancel each other out. Or if maybe I actually lean toward having a little bit more value than the raw shooting percentage would suggest. And I think that makes some sense with the way Trey plays. Of course, we're going to get sucked back into his playmaking and passing and all the things we said are impossible to separate at the top of the show. Because him pulling up from there is a weapon in the pick and roll game or the staggered screen double pick and roll action that they love to run in Atlanta. And they build so much around that. And he keeps defenses honest. And and frankly, you know, if if I had my druthers with 15 seconds on the shot clock with a great NBA offense, I would not want a 36% Trey Young pull up, I don't think. Maybe 36% is not the right way to think about it because you can only, he's only taking that shot when he can get it, right? Yeah. But it's still pretty darn good. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking about, say, say, like the Mavericks run a lot of those double staggers as well. And Luca's not able to pull up from that with that sort of percentage. Luca's just not in this conversation of best three point shooters. No, and no. so that element of of Trey Young's uh, offense in that same sort of set makes him maybe a little bit more potent, at least in this sort of aspect of it. Okay, we've we've teased everyone long enough. I have teased myself long enough. Um, let's wrap this up by taking the guys we've talked about. If you want to inject anyone else in the conversation, you can, and just give me your. Um, Tier two and tier one. Tier one is just like cream of the crop. Oh my God, I think these guys are the greatest shooters in the world right now. And tier two, I guess, would be everyone else at that level you want to acknowledge that's just a little bit below the tier one guys. So I have a, a numerical question and then I have another philosophical question I actually want to ask before we get here. I told you okay. it was, was going to come up at some point. Yes. About how also, po- also, also, I would love to point out that when I said we should do a podcast about top shooters, Cody said that the entire podcast, I was like, I'm pretty sure we could talk about this for like two hours. So. Yeah, that's very, that's very true. I'm still going to ask this question. I'm going to try okay, to fire a away. bit more. How many people are, how many players are going to be in each of your tiers? Like about-ish. Um, just eyeing what's in front of me right now, I think my tier one is looking like, oh, five to seven guys, something like that. And then my tier two is going to be a little bit bigger. Um, okay. Yeah, not like 20 people, but it's, it's more of the names that we've discussed. This is going to be so tough. Okay. Oh, phil- uh-oh. What's happening? Philosophical question. Sorry, yeah. th- that's going to be tough. But then here's my other question. I think Carl Anthony Towns is another super fascinating player to talk about here. Because the nature of his three-point shots is not... When he's wide open, he's not necessarily better than a lot of these shooters. But contests just don't matter to him. Like, he's huge. Like, there, there's not a player that can like block him defensively unless they're like perfectly squared up to do so. And so I think that's like a really interesting variable in this conversation is we have the shooter that maybe in practice, I mean, in practice, he obviously won the three point shootout. So he's a very good three point shooter, but I think his value comes from basically not being able to be contested like these other players need to be. Yeah. I think I agree with everything. Um, I think he has a lot of value on his three point shot. Do we give extra value? I, I, in a way, what you're asking is, do we give him extra credit for being a big? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. It's like your passer rating scale. And I think passer yeah, rating yeah. is a statistic. Wow. Statistic uh, gives bigger players like a little bit more value. Yeah, just inherently. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think we do. Okay. I think we do. Okay. My my head my head hurts at this point. Um I think I'm ready to talk. Oh, are you ready? Do you feel do you feel like you've got a tier one and tier two group of shooters that we can kind of put a, a ribbon on this conversation and then let everyone have at us for let the streets get angry at our <laughs> Absolutely not, but if they don't have something to be angry about, they will feel unfulfilled. So, yeah, they'll feel empty. We we have to give them that. Okay. I actually have I have a, a Steph Curry tier. He's in he's in his own tier. Okay, that's fine. No, I'm yeah. totally fine with that. If you wanna, yep. if you wanna have like one guy in their own tier, like a god tier. Yep. 
and then and then give me what would be essentially like a tier one. Okay, so the, my non Steph Curry tier one. Oh my goodness! Just it's, from three, this just three point shooting. Just three point shooting. You, you know what's funny is we we um, in all of the data we've thrown out, we haven't even like looked at the differences in volume. Just raw volume, overall raw, vo- overall raw volume between some of these players. <laughs> okay, okay. Seth Curry is in my tier one. Okay. Um, Luke Kennard is in my tier one. Luke, you're going tier one with Luke. I'm going tier one with Luke. I'm going Clay Thompson, tier one. Yep. I have two names. Oh, this is going to make me people maybe angry. <laughs> CJ McCollum, tier one. Tier one? Tier one. Tier one. Tier one. And here it is. Um, okay, I'm going to get hot with these. Time out. Hold on. Can we okay. look this up? Yeah. Maybe I'm just way off base here. CJ McCollum has been a flamethrower the last couple of seasons. What off is his dribble, volume like? Off the catch. He's unbelievable. He his- is... Man, since 2020, he's 39%. From three overall, just overall threes, he has taken about mm, thirteen hundred threes in that time span, and that comes out to like eleven or twelve per one hundred possessions at just under forty percent. Okay, all right, all right. I think I'm gonna have him in tier two. Okay, you're gonna have him in tier two. I have I have two other players. This is okay. <laughs> Desmond Bain. You, you, which tier? One. Desmond Bain. Tier one. Oh, my. What? Here's what I like about Desmond Bain. Here's what I like about Desmond Bain. He and Seth Curry are two of the very few players in this conversation that are able to sprinkle in both a solid volume of catch and shoot on good efficiency and pull up efficiency. I like the diversity of three-point attack from Desmond Bain being able to do those. We don't have a three-year sample because he hasn't been in the league for three years. But I think Desmond Bain deserves to be in there. And then my final one in tier one is Fred Van Vliet. What? Oh, my goodness. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, right. tier one, Joe Harris, Seth Curry, Luke Kennard, CJ McCollum, Desmond Bain, and Fred Van Vliet. All right. So, I have, um, I have Seth Curry in that tier. Although, honestly, I'm a little... <laughs> I was wondering what to do with him. I was wondering whether to put him in tier one or tier two, just because I, I'm, if I'm trying to think about your effectiveness based on your three-point shooting, I guess this is pretty high. I'm going to, I'm going to stick with Seth. I have Joe Harris, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry. I'm not going to give him his own tier. We'll just put him in here. Um, I have two guys that you don't have. I meant to say Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson's in mine too. I think you said Clay Thompson. Oh, did I? Good. Okay. Yeah. Good. No, I have two guys you don't have. Okay. The first one is Duncan Robinson. Mm-hmm. I think Duncan Robinson's, in a way, like his entire value as an offensive player is from his three-point shooting. And I think his three-point shooting indicators contextualized, as we've talked about. Like, he's still on all these leaderboards. He's just, oh, Duncan Robinson's only 43% on his open threes instead of 46% or something like that. But I think when you look at the total package... Uh, and his volume as well. I think he's there. And then the other one, um, I've had him kind of in my head at tier one for a couple years, and I'm going to keep him in tier one as well. Buddy Heald. Okay. You are. Yeah. Like for the same reason. I think Buddy, I think basically all of Buddy Heald's offensive value is derived. Like, what else does Buddy Heald do? besides run around and shoot threes at a, at a pretty darn high rate, right? So I think that's interesting when you say, what else do they do? But if that's the only thing they do, and in my opinion, don't have an enormous impact, I think that's speaking to the not huge impact that their shooting might have. Okay, so you're you're doing the thing where you're you're saying, well, Ben, maybe they are there as pure shooters in tier one, but when we include impact, the fact that they can't dribble very well, is hurting them to some degree. I mean, I mean, Duncan Robinson, by the way, he's having a down shooting season this, this year at 36%. But if you look at the last three seasons, 
He's 41. This is just overall. He's 41%. And he's taking 14 threes per 100 possessions. And obviously, that's really, you know, when he's out there, that's integral to Miami's movement kind of heavy offense and the actions and cuts they're running. It reminds me a little of where Kyle Korver was, uh, although I think of Kyle Korver as a better offensive player. But when he was with Atlanta and that, what was it, the 15 season, like those years able to build an offense, being able to build an offense around him, even though he's only scoring like whatever it was, 13 points a game or something, was based entirely on his movement three-point shooting. So, yeah, I don't feel very strongly about this, but that's um, that's kind of where I landed. Yeah, I like that. I think the thing with Duncan Robinson that makes me a little nervous is his 2020 season was such an outlier. Like, he made such a ridiculous amount of three-pointers on such a high volume. And it's so different from any of the other seasons that I'm like, is this kind of skewing us the wrong direction? Is this making us a little bit blind to how good of a shooter Duncan Robinson actually is? I, I don't know. I don't either. Yeah, That's why he wasn't qu- in my tier one. <laughs> it's a good question. Um, tier two. Let's wrap up with some of the other guys we've talked about. Maybe some names we haven't talked about. I don't know. Just sort of. The way I would think about this tier is also guys in this conversation, also great shooters, but for whatever reason, we think their impact um, is a slight notch below this like world-class tier that we just discussed. I think my tier two is maybe too big. Like I have a lot of players in my tier two, and that's because I'm looking at this list saying, like I don't necessarily know how I can sift between them. Um, how many players are in your tier two? It's probably going to be like 10. Oh, no, that's that's about the same size as mine. Yeah, I think... Okay. I think that's I think that's right on point. Cool. In no particular order, then. Let's say Zach Levine. Uh, let's say Joe Ingles. Trey Young. <sighs> probably Norman Powell. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Can I stop you? Yeah. Did, did you start with Zach Levine? Yeah. Wow. Oh, oh yeah. Do, do you not like that? No, I just... Um... I would think of him as if I, if I kept doing this list as like a tier three. Why? All right, let me, well, let me ask you a question. Where do you have Mike Conley? Mike Conley. Um, wow. Not on the list I'm currently looking at, but uh, he would be in tier two. Oh, okay. So wait a second. I'm confused. You have him in tier two or not? I do. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you have Conley in tier two and then also Zach. Yes. Okay. Who was the sorry the I I the Zach Levine one distracted me. Who was the second player after Zach? Joe Ingles. Joe Ingles, boy, he's a very good shooter. He's an extremely good shooter. I didn't really think of him because of his knee injury. Okay, keep going. Uh, I had Norman Powell. I said Bryn Forbes. Wow, you think Norman Powell's that good? I do. And it's been okay. multiple years of him being very good. Like, he's very consistently in that 42 to 44% on those numbers I was talking about. And to me, that's pretty valuable. Okay. Oh, Paul George. I have Paul George. Okay. You uh, haven't so, said so, that for anyone else I said. That makes me nervous. No, I have I, 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 Those weren't the guys I would think of as Tier 2. Those would all be, like, Tier 3 or below oh my God. for me. So I have... I have I like Carl Anthony Towns in Tier 2. Yep, he's my Tier 2 C- as well. CJ McCollum, you already had in Tier 1. Luke Kennard, and then the, um, I think you had Desmond Bain tier one. I can put him in tier two. I'm a little nervous about young guys, uh, but I like Bain. And then Paul George is the first one. I have a couple more listed here, but Paul George is the first one for me. How do you feel about uh, Davis Bertans? He was a tier three. Yeah. Um, I So so maybe it's a, because we're just kind of making this up on the fly. Maybe that's a great way to, uh, sort of benchmark or ground how I'm thinking about these tiers. Davis Burton is a flamethrower. Mm-hmm. He is a really good shooter. But if you look at his indicators or his his ability, I mean, he's been in a slump or what happens when his shooting diet changes in Washington. I think this is going to go back up in Dallas playing in that offense and playing next to Luka. But I don't expect a guy who's like, oh, wow, all of a sudden Davis is shooting 45% on 12 threes per 100 possessions or something, and for that to be consistent. But I do think he's a good enough three-point shooter that you put him in a good environment, and you're going to be back in the 40s on volume. And that's kind of maybe where I draw the cutoff line for, like, tier three. I don't know how many shooters that gets us to, 25, 35, whatever the number is, but those are, like, shooters where you're going, 
oh yeah, this guy can just cook for a season. And I think Davis is at that kind of cutoff for me. Yeah. I didn't say Patty Mills, but I think Patty Mills needs to be in that discussion as well. Patty Mills is a tier two for me. For sure. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's got to be pretty close to the end for me. Okay, there's one more name that you haven't said that I want to say. And then I think we've covered most of the names. Um, before I say this name, I'm... Well, wait a second. Where do you have Trey Young? Did you not have him in? No, he was in my tier two. Tier two. Okay, sorry. Yeah. I missed that. Yeah. Uh, that's... Un- I, I, don't, I don't know... I don't know where I'd land with him. But I mean, I think the conversation we've had about him today has been pretty illuminating for me. Really, yeah. really interesting stuff. And I can understand putting him in there. We mentioned Conley... Um, you talked about Levine. There's one more guy I have in my tier two, but I wanted to ask a name that hasn't come up. How do you feel about Kevin Durant as a three-point shooter? It's great. That's a great question. <laughs> I mean... Because I think of him, when I think of overall, like, all-time great shooters, I don't know. He's not going to be in my top five, but you don't get too far down the list, I think, before you get to Durant. Agreed. And even if you era adjust, you might say, like, ah... Ben, based on the kind of conversation you're having today, there's like 26 other stars and specialists who you'd rank fine that he's a top 30 shooter of all time. I mean, that's like an insanely good shooter. And he's obviously been a very good three-point shooter for a long time. So where would you kind of put him in this conversation? It is so tough because I think mid-range shooting, like that's an entirely different conversation. And he's right near the top of the league with that. I don't know if I'm over-indexing. I don't know if I'm over-indexing on uh, this season from what I've been seeing. I really don't know. He's not a tier one. He's mm-hmm. at he's at minimum a tier three. And I mean, if you threw some good numbers out at me, like I could eke him into my tier two. Well, he doesn't, maybe it's because of the mid-range thing. He doesn't shoot them at the same volume as some of these other guys. So if we go back to, I'll be generous and use the cutoff of 2018, because before that, his seasons are a little lower in percentage. If we go 2018 to the present, which is four seasons for Durant because of his injury, he is making 39.5% of his threes at 7.5 attempts per 100. So a lot of the guys today we've talked about are 11, 12, 14, 15 attempts per 100. So I I think maybe in this conversation I would have him in a tier three. Does that sound right? Yeah, I think so too. Okay. The only other guy I think of in tier two and... Now you've got me maybe wanting to double check my shooting indicators on him. Um, was Bojan Bogdanovic? He, especially on the catch and shoot numbers, I think he was just a little bit low. Like when I was putting the numbers together, I'm like, is he going to break the forty percent mark on this? And actually, he's exactly forty percent over the last three seasons on catch and shoot numbers. And I think on a guy who thrives mostly on those, um, I think that hurts him just a little bit more. Yeah, he's forty four percent on the uh, wide open numbers that we looked at, which incidentally is the same as Davis Bertans and right behind Levine. Um, I could see Levine in tier two. I, I, you know, Levine is another guy I would think of as a tier three guy. Maybe Bojan is a tier three guy. Maybe I need to expand my tier two. So I think I with know. Levine, this is another element. We could talk about this for three hours. Levine has like the <laughs> nuclear element. Like there's the Clay Thompson, Zach Levine nuclear element. Where it's oh, like, I like that. Oh my God. This guy already has seven threes and it's the third quarter. Like, what are we going to do? Zach Levine's in that territory. And I think that bumps him up. I like that. I like that nuclear element. Um, where's Danny Green? Um, I don't know. Where's Danny Green? <laughs> <laughs> well, you haven't met. I don't think you've mentioned him, right? No. Um, he's probably tier three for me. Has he been that good of a three point shooter recently? Well, that's the question. Do you, do you think that maybe he's slowing down a little bit? I mean, I, if you get into like film scouting stuff, I think he's not the player he was a couple years ago. Oh no, definitely. And, and then, so does that lack of movement ability and, and physical sort of springiness, you know, is he a streaky shooter? Does it go up and down? And next season at 35, he's going to come back and shoot 44%. Um, in 2019 in Toronto, he shot 46%. He's at 37.7 this season. And he's another guy who's kind of been pushing 10 attempts per 100. I could still, I could see him still maybe being, being in tier three. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, if we're talking tier three, probably like i haven't expanded my list out that far but i don't think he's a tier two for me yeah that's what i'm trying to get at okay i think we've i think we've hit i hope i hope we've hit 
most of the guys who are worthy in kind of being in the the candidacy of of what we're calling tier two. And then we tend to pretty much agree on the tier one guys. I don't know, Cody, we could talk about this for hours. I, I think we have at least for a first pass circled the wagons pretty well. A lot of interesting points and takeaways for me on things like volume on things like pull up on things like, um, you know, your ability to drive all, all the things we've talked about today. Any, any final thoughts you have? Nope. If I have another final <laughs> thought, we'll go another hour. <laughs> to support this podcast, check out patreon.com slash thinking basketball. That's where you can find Cody and I um, becoming apoplectic with shock and horror after watching one hour of the TNT 75th anniversary all time draft. Cody's shaking his head. He still hasn't recovered. Uh, patreon.com slash thinking basketball. We have a ton more extra features there as well sometimes there's extra videos like that articles um some sometimes we do a podcast like this with a bunch of data we'll publish the data over there patreon.com slash thinking basketball hope you enjoyed this one let us know what you think of it as always thank you for listening all the way till the end and of course i hope you are having a great day By the way, I don't know if we said it, but if Trey's going to be there, then I think Mitchell and Lillard also have to be there for the pull-up three-point shooting, just for the record.